0: You are listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview dot com, and we are the children of the eighties. I want the one in my heart, in my Anything goes. I want the one in my heart, in my heart, in my heart, in my welcome back to another episode of lunchtime movie review the podcast where we look back at some of our childhood favorites to see if they stand the test of time i'm patrick it's deja chris all over again and i'm scott and this week, we are looking at one of the bigs of the 1980s, the second Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984. But why 1984? Because apparently that's the only year that we like to review films from. It seems like every other episode is a film from 1984. <laughs> it's the only year that matters. That <laughs> apparently. Apparently.
1: A great year for movies.
0: uh, Apparently it is, because every time we review a film, it seems like it's another film from 1984. Uh, But before we get into our review of The Temple of Doom, first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Pancat Palace. Attention, Carnatarians. The Pancat Palace, home to India's most delicious delicacies, is proud to announce its brand spanking new Meat Lovers Buffet. Whether you're craving our snake surprise, crispy beetles, or oogling eyeball soup, we have something for everybody unless you're one of those pussy vegetarians. So get on down here today and make sure you save some room for our world renowned chilled monkey brain dessert. Tell them Willie sent you. I love the flaming heart surprise there, it's to die for. <laughs> Okay, you that, guys are going to laugh at it this time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I go fuck yourselves. So I, I've heard the joke before. <laughs> Anyways, Chris, you've got the summary this week. Yes, All right. Yes, I do. Well, Scott and I are going to go get a smoke while you do the rest of the podcast. So we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you later. Sounds great.
1: If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You don't believe me. You will, Dr. Jones.
0: It's 1935, and Indiana Jones is back in the saddle again. This time he's toting around an 11 year old boy named Short Round and a ridiculously bad lounge singer named Willie Scott. The sexual tension between the three of them is unbearable. The movie begins with the three sh- escaping Shanghai's most villainous crime boss, Lao She, or Lao Che, depending on what part of the country you come from, at his nightclub, Club Obi Wan. I wonder where they got that name from. And then they hightail it out of China on a plane owned by Lao Che. While they sleep aboard his plane, the pilot parachutes out and the plane crashes somewhere over the Himalayan rainbow. Luckily for our heroes, the plane has an inflatable raft and they use that to ski down the the mountainous slopes and into a rapid river. I think the only thing more implausible would be surviving a nuclear blast in a lead refrigerator, but that's (laughs) for another review. They end up in a little Indian village with a dot, not a feather where the tribe's people think that Indy and company have been sent by the god Shiva to retrieve a sacred stone that has been stolen from them. Oh, and also to get their children that were taken to by some unknown evil forces from the Pancock Palace. Indy swaggers, da- swaggers on down to the palace where he's warmly received by its prime minister, Shatar Lal, probably because the palace's very young Maharaja and short round go to the same junior high school. They feast on local delicacies and make idle chit-chat. Shatar scoffs at Indy's questions about the claims by the villagers that the thuggy cult is responsible for all their disappearances, even though Shatar is wearing his ceremonial thuggy for life shirt. I think Indy hit a nerve because later that night he is attacked by an assassin. Don't worry, he survives. I know you are all very worried. But unfortunately for us, Willy is still alive too. We still have some hope for her demise though, when in her room, the trio finds a hidden entrance to the secret tunnels filled with goony booby traps. They stumble past the booby traps and find the Thuggies' Temple of Doom, which is dedicated to the worship of the goddess Kali. The Thuggies for life are led by Mola Ram, their high priest and villainous overlord. It is he who enslaved the local children so that they can mine for the remaining two Sancra stones. You see there are five total, and Ram already has three of them. And I'm sure that we all know that nothing good will come from a man named Ram having five stones in his possession. Indy goes to steal the stones, but he, Willie, and Short Round are captured and taken away to, to separate locations Indy is forced to drink the blood of Kali, which puts him in a trance that forces him to do the thuggy's bidding. Willie, thankfully, is going to be a human sacrifice, and that can't come soon enough. Short Round is forced to work in the mines and is reunited with Mikey, Chunk, and Mouth, but he quickly escapes and gets Indy to snap out of his trance with a flaming torch below the belt. Indy then kicks Shatar Lal's thuggy ass, Short Round snaps the Maharaja out of his trance with another flaming torch and learns how to get out of the mines. Indy gets a thuggy squished into red Bindi juice. Then he and Short Round rescue Willie, snatch the snow, snatch the stones, and free the children. But the vile and evil Mola Ram continues to thwart their escape. Indy and company flees the underground complex via a lame-ass theme park Minecart Chase, Once out, they are immediately confronted by Molaram and his henchmen atop a rope bridge that overlooks a crocodile-infested river. Indy cuts the bridge in half, and everyone has to hang on for dear life. He then uses a magical incantation that makes the stones red-hot. Two fall into the river below, but the third is caught by Molaram, which burns his hand like a mofo. He drops it, but Indy is able to nab it, of course, it's cool to the touch now. Mola Ram falls into the river and becomes Crocodile Sushi. The thuggies for life don't give up, though. They try to shoot Indy with, arrow- with arrows, but he is saved when a company of British Indian Army riflemen, summoned by the little Maharaja, arrive on the scene. A big battle ensues, and many of the thuggies get a cap popped in their ass. Indy, Willie, and Short Round returned to the village with their stolen children and stolen stone in tow. The end. Aw, oh, shut up, Willie! <laughs> All right, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, released on May 23rd of 1984, the same day as... Nothing. Nobody came out against Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They'd be insane to do that, but... Other films came out that month, same month as *The Natural*, *Firestarter*, *16 Candles*, *Breakin'*, the sex comedy *Hard Bodies*, and *The Bounty* with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins, grossed over 179 million dollars in the United States, over 330 million worldwide. It is actually the lowest grossing of the entire Indiana Jones film series. It was the third highest grossing film of 1984 behind Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters. And in front of Gremlins, The Karate Kid and Police Academy, was nominated for two Academy Awards, uh, winning for Best Visual Effects and losing Best Score to A Passage to India. 1984. Were you even aware of who Indiana Jones was when this film came
1: out, Scott? I was a huge Indiana Jones jones fan uh i had the posters and uh, i was really excited because when this movie opened uh, i was going for my buddy's birthday party and we saw it in the first week or two after it opened and i was probably one of the most excited people in the entire nation to go see this movie
0: well that's a bold statement at the time there were a lot of excited people uh chris I, (laughs) i i know you and i were in junior high when this film came out in fact if I remember correctly, I think we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark for some after school program or something. And they had like a preview for Indiana Jones on the VHS tape. It didn't show any scenes. It just said that it was coming. Um, do you remember that? I don't remember that, but I know that I was super excited for this film to, to come out. It was probably the, the one big thing I was looking forward to, because I remember seeing this opening night uh, in the theater. It was crowded. It was packed. And, uh, I don't think I had seen the theater that packed since really I went to see Empire Strikes Back. So it was in our public consciousness. Now, now upon seeing it, when you saw this film in 1984, what did you think of it?
1: <laughs> you know, I I remember I was really excited and coming home and and just like oh yeah I saw it Indiana Jones is awesome. And that was, I I remember even at 10 thinking, eh, this wasn't Raiders. But I I certainly, I was excited to see it. I enjoyed it. I was perhaps, whether I admitted it or not, a little let down. But I enjoyed it.
0: I did like it. Uh, It's just in retrospect over the years that I didn't think it was as strong as the others. But I remember when I saw it opening night, I thought it was awesome. Uh, a lot of any of the call outs that I'll have today, I didn't really see uh, when I saw it that first time. I was just, I loved the whole thing, and I was just happy that I got another uh, Indiana Jones movie. Uh, you know, at the time, I even read a couple of the uh, of the Indiana Jones books. I I liked the, I just liked Indiana Jones so much. You, you know, it's funny that. I remember liking it a lot, a a real lot, when I saw it as a kid. I remember reading the novelization of the film before I actually saw the film. Um, Of course, my experience of actually seeing the film for the first time was we went to a drive-in to see it, which is probably not the best place to see a dark set film because it it doesn't show up very well. And it was the days of the old speaker. It wasn't even radio broadcast, so... Uh, but it, i was thrilled to be able to go see it because i remember i wanted to see it very bad but my parent or my uh, parents didn't want to take me to you know to fight the crowds and so it was a treat for them to, on a friday night to just take my brother and i down to the drive-in to go see a movie and it was and i can't remember what was shown with it i don't, I don't want to say it was raiders but i could have been wrong i think it, but it was definitely it was definitely some other action oriented film but what i loved about it as a kid is what I absolutely despise about it now is short round and Willie Scott. And that I yeah. thought, you know, even at 12, I thought Kate Capshaw was a much better looking woman than Karen Allen. And the kid element appealed to me. That hey, there's the kid is a kid can go along and have an adventure with Indiana Jones, and that's what I liked about it. And and now I'll point out and say that's what's absolutely wrong with this film is those two characters. I mean, everything else works. I just can't stand the supporting cast, and indie supporting cast specifically. They're not as good as Karen Allen and Sala or um, even uh, Marcus Brody from Raiders of the Lost Ark no that that's very true um they are the weak links and you could take them out of this film and i think it would be a much more enjoyable film altogether
1: i would tend to agree with that when i was watching the movie when they had her down in the cage dropping her into the lava i was hoping beyond hope somehow the movie would change and we could be done with willie scott in that scene i think if my personal opinion, if they would have killed the leading lady halfway through the movie, we'd be talking about you know one of the classic movies. I mean it would have completely <laughs> changed the tone, and then we wouldn't have had to hear her yelling and screaming for the next hour I, and
0: that's all she does is scream like a banshee through the entire goddamn film and it just and you know it's weird that I can hear have this on the television and from another room. all I'll be able to hear is that her shriek scream all the time. Maybe that's what Steven Spielberg liked about her. She was a screamer. Well, (laughs) apparently she learned to scream for this film. And I I really want to know, how do you learn to scream? How do you know that's, that's not just by instinct or you can just do it. But I read One of the facts on this film is that she learned how to scream for the purpose of this film. And, and apparently they liked it so much. They had to do it every five minutes. Anytime, you know, she broke a nail, she'd scream, you know, it's, it was always something.
1: Well, the screaming was so just grating. I actually watched this on my iPad with headphones to get ready for this podcast. It hurt my ears. I mean, I was constantly monkeying with the volume just because it was so grating and bothersome. I, I you take her out of it, I, I think we even with short round we have a much better movie. But I so wish they would have just killed her off. <laughs> So do I. I I
0: wish they both would have died some (laughs) vile death. Uh, Then this would have made this very, very, very dark film much, much darker. And obviously they introduced the kid element into the film to kind of offset the darkness of the film. Because it is a very – it is not Raiders. Although I I have a differing opinion of what works about Raiders and what doesn't work about this. But it it doesn't have as much comedy and the comedy that it has – Seems to be uh, almost slapstick that they add into it, and not and not just natural comedy like they did in Raiders. Would you agree or Yeah, like the break breaking uh, in the mine chase where it broke off, and then he had to use his shoes shoes to cool it down, and then he's like uh, water, water, water. Then all the water came, and <laughs> I mean, it, the comedy just didn't work for me.
1: You know, I I get the feeling in watching it that where Raiders, a lot of that I suspect was somewhat – whether it was ad-libbed or or organic to the film, it just kind of developed. When they wrote this one, I suspect they tried to write in those specific funny moments of levity and it it just didn't work because – I think it was just too scripted or too, it was almost condescending in the humor. And, you know, I agree with you. That scene where he's jumping up and down, yelling for water, that, that was just lost on me. I, I didn't get anything out of that at all. And if anything, I thought it was somewhat embarrassing to the character.
0: Well, you know and the, that that is one scene that i, I don 't particularly like. The other scene is when he 's fighting the big thuggy guard and he tries to hit him with the sledgehammer, and the sledge, he takes the sledgehammer away from him, and the, the guard throws it off the side and hits a guy on the head with this donk you know sound that just drives that just grates on me. The other thing is like when willie when they 're in the camp and willie 's running around and running into like every animal in the animal kingdom and screaming, so you have two things i don 't like: bad comedy and a lot of screaming. I mean, I seriously thought, when is she going to run into the penguin and start screaming? Because it just seemed like you had all these fucking animals that didn't have anything to do with being in the Indian jungle. And then, you know, there's certain ones I got. And then they just started, oh, here's an owl and here's a fox. I, you know, like, whatever it is, it just seemed out of place. And it just wasn't funny to start with. Also, wasn't wasn't the thought to have a different woman in each film – supposed to be like how James Bond has a different woman in each film, a, a Bond girl. I guess it would be an indie girl in a in a sense. And she is not anywhere close to what even the worst of Bond girls uh, were to me. Oh, ooh. Uh. I'm going that far. <laughs> I don't know about that.
1: As I, I do have to say, as, despite the fact I wasn't quite 10 yet, she was everything of my dreams at the time. I She did it for me back then.
0: No, she's, you know, Kate Capshaw is extremely attractive. I have no problem with the way that she looks, you know, and even her acting ability. I don't think she's a bad actor. I think it's it's not the acting performance. Short round, it's the acting performance. He looks like a kid who's acting for the first time because he was, but. I think it was the way the character... Was, was. he speaking English for the first time, too? Uh, possibly. <laughs> um, but it, it Willie was just a badly written character and just didn't fit into this film. And it was just... she it was too much the damsel in distress. And, you know, Indiana Jones is spending all his time trying to save her or help her out. And not really being Indiana Jones, that's what's irritating to me about her. So... um uh, somebody said something else that was i had a different tangent and then you went off on that bond thing <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> it's like do you remember tanya roberts and a view to a kill that was horrible i mean that was uh, that's the best i could equate it to is because she's she's blonde and she was attractive but she can't act and she was terrible in that film and she was a- acting and playing the romantic lead to her grandfather and it just doesn't work I just don't remember seeing any James Bond film where I actually wanted to punch the Bond girl. I wanted to punch whatever her name, Willie, in this film. I, I just wanted her to shut up and go away. <laughs> I would have, I would have gladly helped out the thuggies uh, to get rid of that girl. <laughs> and I didn't even need any stones to do it. Well, going back to like the darkness of the film, this is the film, this and Gremlins, two Steven Spielberg films are the films that bring about the PG 13 rating Um, this film for its violence, as well as the whole dinner sequence where they have snake surprise and monkey brains and eyeballs and things like that. And then the tearing out of the heart of a guy before lowering him into a firing pit and watching him uh, kind of move while he's catching on fire, which was obviously an animatronic dummy. They didn't actually light a little Indian boy on fire that, and it's weird because I don't s- – seeing it now, it, it's it stark contrast – well, it, in contrast to Raiders, Raiders had melting faces. <laughs> Just that I find more disturbing than anything in Temple of Dune. But yet this and Gremlins cause PG-13 the next year. Well, it was Nazis, and Nazis uh, deserve it, so you're not going to get a
1: PG-13 rating for that. <laughs> okay. I was going to it scared me. I, I love seeing it, and I thought it was awesome. But laying in bed at night, I wasn't entirely sure somebody wasn't coming in the door and pulling out my heart. So, as a little nine-year-old, I, it did scare me quite a bit.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Well, maybe it's just because I was older and I didn't associate that. I mean, I was literally at that age. I was twelve, so I, that that cusp of thirteen, anyways, I wouldn't matter what PG or PG thirteen. I just, I, you know, I find it like the melting faces. And even like uh, the mummies and the stuff in Raiders were far more frightening to me than this film it was. And, and, and yeah, I think it was the age. I, I think it, that you're just you're a little bit older and a little bit more used to that. Okay. Also, am, am I nuts? Did Indy say shit or something in this film, by the way? Did he cuss? Yeah, he did. But he did in the first film, too. Yeah. I don't remember him cussing in the first film. Yeah, he does in the Raiders. Uh, I, was I, it I, when he shot the guy? No, he didn't say anything when he shot the guy. That's what made it cool. He didn't say anything. but. And by the way, him <laughs> not having a gun for this one just is annoying at this point. But, All right. Uh, let's talk about some. We've talked about some of the things that, that bother me. Now, you kind of hit it at, at, in your summary, the uh, jumping out of the airplane with the the rubber raft in comparison to the nuking the fridge in the fourth film nuking the fridge is bad. I will give you that. It's not a good scene, not a good sequence, not in a good escape. Jumping out of a plane with a rubber raft to land on a mountain and then slide down and then go over a cliff, ultimately to end in a river, that sequence is one of the most uh, Wally Coyote Roadrunner-type sequences I've ever seen (laughs) in in a live-action film. And for every person who talks about nuke the fridge and they say oh that was so over the top. Are you kidding me? It's already been over the top. It was over the top in this film. This is the film that goes over the top first. It's funny you say that because I would I've said that I thought the 4th was the the worst. And after seeing this one over I, I'm going to agree with you completely what you said. I do think that the raft scene is more ridiculous than the uh, refrigerator scene at this point. I could almost, I would almost say that it's not, but at the point where they start to, I don't know, I guess you could say get their bearings in the river, then they go over the side of the cliff in it. I'm like, no, that that's it, that was just the end of ridiculous for me. So I think at this point, I will agree with you 100% on this that the, the rap scene is more absurd than the refrigerator, but the refrigerator comes in an extremely close second.
1: You know, I I, I guess I will be the voice of dissent de, dissension on this. Uh, again, over the top, ridiculous, but in the context of the movie, I was able to suspend my, you know, what do you call it, suspend your disbelief and whatnot. And I was actually much more comfortable watching him jump out of a plane in a raft and go over a cliff than i was seeing him jump in a refrigerator when a nuclear bomb goes off i i just in the context of the movie i was able to get sucked into it and i'm not going to say i was okay with it but i didn't object nearly as much as i did to that scene in the fourth movie
0: (laughs) okay uh whatever it's just there's always going to be an apologist for it. <laughs> Wow, so, I feel so
1: validated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Notes. Plus, it, hey, if, if nothing else, it was just a cooler scene to watch.
0: No, and I'll give you credit. It was cool at the time. I, I just... I guess what rubs me raw and we can discuss this right now cuz Chris has already revealed what my opinions are. I consider this the worst of the Indiana Jones films, even worse than the 4th one, which a lot of people most people consider the 4th film as the worst Indiana Jones film and I I think this is the worst of them all. This one is it, it seems so not Indiana Jones, not the character that that was in Raiders, and it is a little weird. Is that this is a prequel, not a sequel? So you're supposed to be seeing this character who's more about fortune and glory, which is what exactly what Belloc seems to be about in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you never really see that. It, it, you, only, you, know, you get this kind of summary of Indiana Jones changing at the end of this film. Of oh yeah, I'll give you back your rock. I understand his power now, and that's that's supposed to be his character evolution. So he used to be kind of a mercenary when it came to archaeology. It just I didn't. I didn't like that about his character, and, and and then there was just so much stuff that just seemed to go. Why are you doing that? It just makes no sense to me. That uh, it it was just ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. So I I consider this the worst of the Indiana Jones films. Now let me be clear. I still like it. I still you know put it. Up there is uh, is better than most of the films out there. I'd rather watch Temple of Doom ten times than rewatch any of the National Treasure movies because I think those are just horrible in a completely <laughs> different way: is that ridiculous and bad acting all the way around and a stupid story that makes no sense whatsoever. But I'm not a big fan of Nicolas Cage. How about a Night at the Museum? That's archaeologically themed, uh, different it's a different genre to me. I approach those as a comedy, and yeah. and and I, and I don't like them as much as the Indiana Jones film. You know, speaking as a fan of the indie series, and I hope they do make a fifth one with Harrison Ford, and then I hope they continue on making the series, possibly with Chris Pratt, which is the rumor that's that's going on here. But you know, I am... I, would, I look forward to more adventures of Indiana Jones. I just hope that they put forth and make it very realistic, which Raiders of the Lost Ark was. And even... Last Crusade seemed to tone it back a little bit. We didn't have these over-the-top moments that were in Temple of Doom and what started off in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull.
1: Well, and and I agree with you. I I think what made Raiders of the Lost Ark so endearing is the, the humanistic and the frailties of the character, which, again, this, you know, I'll concede the whole jumping out of the airplane and he appeared to be almost, you know, slapstick and and immortal. I don't even know how to describe it, but it got ridiculous, and I I think they kind of brought back the the genuine qualities of the character for the third movie. So I I hope that's the direction they go. I certainly, I did not enjoy the fourth movie. Um, If I had my choice of watching the second or the fourth, I'd watch Temple of Doom. Oh, God. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But that being said, I would certainly like to see something else that kind of Focuses on the character and and the frailties and the especially now at Harrison Ford he's what seventy two, mm-hmm. it it could be a great movie if they just kind of tried to do a realistic and as opposed to these ridiculous sequences just kind of had the the comedy of a seventy two year old man doing whatever it is he's doing
0: yeah and if he's going to get they do a fifth and if he's going to get into a plane again he should take a rubber raft with him that's what I'm just saying
1: Don't <laughs> land on the golf course take a rubber bath with you. Well, and you know what? Maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe Harrison Ford actually could have jumped out in a raft and survived. I mean, uh, he's walked away from a plane crash. Not everyone can say that. That's true. He'd be saved by his piles of money that are
0: on the earth. So. <laughs> uh, that wallet's a big cushion.
1: <laughs> that's true. I'll just throw these hundreds down in front of me. We were kind of talking about this earlier and got away from it. I The short round character drove me crazy. Any movie they bring a kid into I think ruins the movie. I mean they've done that. I don't know if it's a gimmick or – I had never thought about it. But I think you're right. They probably had the kid to take away from how dark the movie was. But just uh, – it did nothing for the story. I, I think you could take him out and I don't see that the movie is affected in the least. I I just did not enjoy that element of it at all
0: then did you like it better as a kid
1: you know i i think i was able to identify with the character somewhat it seemed to me he was my age and i guess as a little kid i could say hey i could i i could be like that kid but uh, i don't know i'll tell you the guy on my lunchbox was indiana jones and i didn't really care that short round was not didn't have his picture on it
0: <laughs> i didn't mind him too much I mean, now, of course, I I don't care for him. I I think I like him better than Mutt, but no, he was was fine back in the day. Well, you know, going back to even the success of this film, this film, the plan from George Lucas was to make this a darker film similar to Empire Strikes Back in comparison to Star Wars, a successful test, um, because Empire is generally considered the best of the entire Star Wars series by many people but very low grossing. This film, they're following the same pattern, the idea that they're going to make a, you know, possibly a, a film series, at least a trilogy, at this point in time. We're going to make this one a little bit darker, but the stories aren't really tied together. And the this ends up being the lowest grossing of the series. I mean, this is far behind Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade, which doesn't come out for five years, and that's another thing, that this film... There were so many problems as far as like how the the public reacted to this film that they took more time before they came back to do Indy 3 with or Last Crusade. I mean, they didn't come back in three years, which I think was the original plan. They came back in five years. Well, I think this one uh, kind of suffered from a lack of uh, villains that mattered. I mean, you know, you, you had the this uh what was his name again Molaram 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 to me he wasn't threatening i mean he was just some old guy with painted a painted head that was looking for stones i'm like give it to him big deal you know there <laughs> to me there wasn't really much at stake as as a kid when i first saw it I, I to be honest with you i didn't care that the kids were taken and enslaved that didn't really register with me you know i wanted to see the adventure part of it and I don't think there was strong villains for Indy to play against. I mean, all the guy really did was um, was uh, give it, uh, Indy a secret potion and try and take his heart out. I mean, the the heart thing was was gross, but it wasn't terribly menacing to me. And I I really think that's what hurt this film more than a, a screaming woman and a little boy was the, the the lack of a good conflict or adventure. Well because, let's say it, let's be honest, nobody makes a villain quite like the Nazis. The Nazis are great villains. And the best villains in the entire Indiana Jones film series are in one and three, and that's because it's the Nazis. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have more um, stereotypical characteristics that you can write about. Um, I mean, in, in Indiana Jones 4, I mean, you can do the Russian accent, but... That's really about it. They're blonde-haired, blue eyes, like surfer people, basically. As far as I'm concerned, they're they're not as, to me, they're not as threatening as the Nazis because, really, all the Russians had was a bomb, and uh, we all know that a refrigerator will uh, (laughs) save you from it. So, uh, Nazis, they'll do anything. So, yeah they they're much they're much stronger villain to have.
1: You know, uh, kind of changing subjects. I hope hope I'm not interrupting. No. But uh I I don't know if this is coincidence or if if it might factor into our perception of the movie, but if you look at the artifacts in 1 and 3 versus 2 and 4, they're both biblical artifacts that I think a lot of people, you know, with a kind of a judeo-christian background can identify with and recognize and where in this movie we're talking about it's a, a Hindu rock versus you know, aliens in the fourth one, I wonder if the the mere fact that it's something that I think most people who view this movie, at least that are from the United States, can kind of identify or at least recognize, if that enhances the movie or if it's simply just coincidental.
0: So is your question then, is the American audience basically racist because we don't give a shit about Indian rocks or South American crystal skulls? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, but I probably very true. I I think it's it's it I am not as interested in the rocks, uh the magic rocks. I the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail. I mean, obviously those two I'm not even religious and I know what those two items were. You know, the crystal skull and the Shankara stones. Until the movies were coming out, I didn't know I didn't know dick about them, so they they didn't mean anything to me, and so I didn't have even kind of a passing knowledge of what they were about. See, for me, I had heard about uh, the the skulls and where people thought that aliens had made them um, and left them here on the planet. So for me, I thought that it number four, I would like much more when I heard what it was about. So that could also be part of my disappointment in that film, that it wasn't quite what I thought it would
1: be. I know that I grew up in a religious home and, and my family and I are, are religious. And I remember as a little kid, well before the movie, hearing the story of the ark of the covenant and, and certainly not Indiana Jones style, but I could almost identify or that, that seemed something that could be real to me. And these stones, you know, eh, it, it looked like a rock that someone got out of a field or something. And again, I don't know if it's completely incidental to a better story or if I can actually identify with that story based on the fact that I'm familiar with kind of what the objective of the movie was
0: I think you yeah, have more of an investment of interest in it when it's uh, a a western religious symbol as opposed to something that's pagan or eastern so I, I think it, there's definitely something there I was
1: just going to say so the moral of the story for Idiot of Jones 5 Let's go to the Bible, as opposed to...
0: <laughs> Make sure the Nazis take something from the Bible. Uh, perfect plan. Well, they they, they have to cat, recast Indiana Jones Young, unless he's going against the Illinois Nazis from Blues Brothers or something. <laughs> 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 Who are not quite as threatening as the real Nazis, so... Well, he could go to South America and look for hiding Nazis who have <laughs> stolen true. treasures. Goes, goes after the boys from Brazil. That's a good idea right yeah. there. Finds Gregory Peck. That, that's that's a good reference. Uh, how long did it take you guys to figure out that Dan Aykroyd had a cameo in this film?
1: First time I saw it. Never got it until today. Are you kidding me? I'm not making this up. Oh. I, I never even noticed it. I'm, I'm like, holy cow, that sounds like Dan Aykroyd.
0: Yeah, I recognized his voice. Even as a 12-year-old, I recognized his voice, and I didn't see a lot of his films back then. Yeah, I didn't recognize it until... I must have seen this like around college sometime, and that's when I finally recognized it. it I would say it was a good decade for me before I, I realized that it was Dan Aykroyd. All right, let's go around the horn. Scott, what did you think of it as a kid, and does it stand the test of time? Although I think we've all answered this question already.
1: Well, I loved it as a kid. And I still enjoy it. I watched it today, and I enjoyed it. So I will say, yes, it does stand the test of time. I would not, if I'm just in an Indiana Jones mood, I'm going to put on Raiders or, or maybe the third one. But still, I agree with what you said a little bit earlier. This movie is still much, much better than so many of the other movies out there. I'm going to say I think it's not the worst, the second to the worst in the series. But, yes, I, I say it does stand the test of time. Chris?
0: Uh, as as I kind of stated before, uh, before I resaw this film uh, for the podcast, I kind of I, I pretty much thought that the fourth one was the worst of the series. This one, after rewatching it, is is to me the the weakest of the four, and uh, it just as you said it. I, it's still a good film as far as Indiana Jones. I'm, I'm not bagging on it. It's not It's not a movie that I would never tell anybody not to see. I think it's, it's a good one, but it is the weakest of the series. But it still does stand the test of time. Um, if you're an Indiana Jones fan, uh, I think you definitely would want to see this. And to be honest with you, I don't know uh, if I would watch... Um, raiders of the lost ark first if i was watching an indiana jones film i think i would watch the last crusade first well that would be a podcast for another day chris we'll get to that one yeah, eventually I, I think we will get to that one but mm-hmm. anyways if i'm going to if i'm going to be banished to a desert island and they said you can take 10 action adventure films even though all the faults in temple of doom i'd probably still take this one now if they say okay you can only watch one Indiana Jones films for the rest of your life I ain't picking Temple of Doom <laughs> it's just not <laughs> So I it I what I said before it is it is better than most of the stuff that is crapped out by Hollywood since then and even to today I it just it's it's far away you know it's just it's got the pedigree with Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. It's just, from top to bottom, it's well-made. I mean, it, its you can see the money on the screen that was spent and the, the attention to the detail they do in things. So it's a well-made film. It's just my least favorite of the entire Indiana Jones film series. That being said, I do think it stands the test of time. I enjoyed it as a kid. I like different things about it now as an adult. I like the darkness of it. I like the uh, the maturity of... The, the kind of the, a different villain and a little bit more threatening and sinister. Um, I, somebody fell down some stairs, <laughs> but, but I can't stand Willie Scott and I can't stand short round. And that's, that's the two that you take out those two characters. And I think this is a far, far better film. Unfortunately. Let me ask you this. Yes. Uh, romancing the stone or temple of doom. Temple of Doom. Yeah. No? So, uh, I, I still like Temple of Doom better. I like Romancing the Stone, but I like this one as well. So, there you go. Uh, Jewel of the Nile or Temple of no. Doom? No. No Jewel of the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not even going to let you get that question out. <laughs> King, King Solomon's Mind with Richard Chamberlain and Sharon Stone? The, the Raiders' knockoff? No, oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, Alan Quatermain and the Lost City of Gold, which was the sequel that came out the very next year with the same characters. Yeah, I should uh, I should rent that. No, you should shit. not. You should not. <laughs> <Those are horrible. laughs> they are. We can review with them for the podcast, but they are horrible. They used to be streaming on Netflix. It wouldn't cost you anything except for time, and it's time you'll never get back.
1: Little boy escaped from the evil palace. Many other children. Do there. What we do, Dr. Jones? Yeah. What do you think? I think that somebody believes the good luck rock from this village is one of the lost Shankara stones. What is Shankara? Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory.
0: All right, that does it for this week's review of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little, I guess, tri-weekly podcast. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Facebook at Lunchtime Movie Review or on Twitter at Lunchtime Movie. On either Facebook or Twitter, you can keep up on, on on our written film reviews, news on upcoming films and blue releases, and information on upcoming podcasts, such as this one, Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, uh, Chris and I's other gig, Male Bonding, Chris and I's other other gig, uh, where we review the James Bond films, as well as the number two review, which is Chris's other gig that I don't have anything to do with. But you didn't get the name right this time. <laughs> I did. I didn't call it the, n- the number two film review. So it just number two film review just rolls off the tongue, Chris. Yeah. Additionally, if you've enjoyed yourselves and you download us off iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to rate our podcast on either one of those formats. And if you have a chance, write a short review of the podcast. Of course, we always like the reviews that are positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we get from any listeners of the show. Well, that is it for this episode of Lunchtime New Review. Until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Scott.
0: And we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm or Paramount Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, all names and sounds of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom characters and any other Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm and Paramount Home Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted. We named the dog Scott.